0: Coming at you from Verge headquarters in Indianapolis, across the airwaves, or I guess through the cloud, onto your phones and onto your laptops, into your headphones, your car stereo, your ear holes everywhere. I'm Matt Hunkler with Powder Keg Igniting Startups, episode 17. And in this conversation, we're going to have some fun with a former Googler turned business strategist and the author of the book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is your next one.
1: It's so easy to fill our minds with other people's ideas. I think it's so important to take the time that we have to breathe and slow down, and silence can be so beautiful. Be able to hear ourselves think, or not think, if the goal is to slow our minds down.
0: That's Jenny Blake, who grew up in San Francisco and called in from her current sanctuary nestled in the heart of New York City. And what's particularly cool about this interview with Jenny is that every January, she lives abroad to experiment with running her business from anywhere. But I was lucky enough to catch Jenny right after her return from a huge keynote speech for World Bank and coming right off the heels of a silent Retreat. Now we have a really fun conversation that jumps around a little bit, uh, but we cover some of my favorite topics, including public speaking for business, mindfulness, and even yoga, and how to pivot like a pro. That journey and the lessons learned along the way coming up on Powder Keg Igniting Startups, where each week we share the untold stories of innovation, leadership, and technology beyond Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and I'm the founder and CEO of Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent outside of Silicon Valley. And as my team and I have grown Verge over the past seven years, we've hosted more than a 1,000 entrepreneurs at our events around the world. Those founders have gone on to raise more than $500 million in capital collectively, and they're disrupting industries, creating wealth, and changing the world. That's why we started this podcast. Each guest has their own powder keg full of raw skills and talents that's ignited their startups and fueled their growth. These are their stories. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Hunkler. That's H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R. And let me know how Verge and Powderkeg and I can help you with your entrepreneurial journey. In the meantime, please make sure you subscribe to the Powder Keg wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the major podcast outlets, including, of course, iTunes. You can find us on iTunes using our handy link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. And using that link, you can subscribe, make sure you don't miss a single episode, not a single conversation that we have here. And I just want to give a huge shout out really quick to all of you powder kegists out there who have already left us a review. It's your feedback and sharing that helps us reach so many more people. And this community that we're growing is so inspiring. It's what keeps me coming back here every single day, making sure we're bringing the best guests to you with every episode. Thank you. Powderkeg is brought to you by Developer Town, and Developer Town helps enterprise companies move like a startup. I've seen it firsthand. Corporate innovators often work with Developer Town to explore software solutions that support their core business needs. By leveraging their years of experience working with startups, Developer Town is able to help companies better understand the viability of potential software solutions and quickly bring them to market. Developer Town has created a proven sprint to market process so large enterprises can move like a startup. Find out more at developertown.com slash powderkeg. That's developertown.com slash powderkeg. Developer Town, start something. Today, we're talking with Jenny Blake, and we have such a cool conversation for you. Jenny's background is amazing. She spent over a decade working in web development and started her career working at a startup in Silicon Valley for two years. Now she left that company to go and join another tech company, you might have heard of it, it's called Google. Yes, she was at Google for more than five years doing training, coaching, and career development. And during her time there, she taught and coached best practices to Google executives all over the world. And she also is an author. One of the cool things about her is that she's written two books. Her first one, her best-selling book, Life After College, was based on her blog by the same name, as well as her new book, Pivot, which came out in 2016. We talk a lot about that and some of the frameworks from that book that you can apply in your business literally today if you want to. Jenny has been running her own location-independent small business since 2011. She's given international keynotes and workshops at top companies and universities such as Google, Yale, Parsons, MIT, UCLA, TEDx, CMU, Intuit, KPMG, PIMCO, Best Buy. I could go on and on. There's a lot of companies here here listed. So with some of that background uh, and some of her expertise, uh, I just wanted to get some of that out of the way because we dive right in. So let's set this thing off. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for being here today. I really enjoyed reading your book uh, and getting into some of what you're doing with Pivot and the Pivot Method. Uh, Your podcast is amazing as well. And it was really cool to see you uh, featured in that article on entrepreneur.com with all of these other amazing female podcasters. How's everything going there?
1: Thank you so much. The podcast has been this secret love that emerged out of nowhere. I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I do. But I I thought, you know, I was working on Pivot. It took about three years from start to finish. And I thought, well, it'd be nice. I'm interviewing people anyway. I might as well record these and have a podcast companion that goes with the book so that as people are reading Pivot, they can also hear live stories from the people and the experts that I'm interviewing. And then as I was working on the book, it just became this passion project. I had so much fun, and I still do, getting to interview my author heroes and, and getting access to people in a way I never anticipated. People like Kevin Kelly, and he's the co-founder of Wired Magazine, sure. for anyone who isn't familiar. Things like that. Kevin Kelly, Martha Beck. I mean, just some of my author heroes. Getting to have them on the phone and talk to them one-on-one is just incredible. And people, And then talking to to you, Matt, like being able to be a guest on podcasts has also been really, really fun. And kind of the, I found with this book launch, it's my second book, the, the my favorite way to get out there because it's so authentic. We get to just shoot the breeze to have a conversation and, and people get to listen in. And so it's been really rewarding.
0: Well, absolutely. And you do such a good job with it. You really get a sense of who you are, what you're all about and how you're going about continuing to learn. You know, I, I love that. Uh, in your bio, you mentioned you know, you're a bookworm, always consuming all kinds of different books uh, and, of course, writing uh, books of your own. And I want to make sure we dive into your book Pivot or your more, most recent book Pivot uh, at, at some point during this conversation, but I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what makes you tick because you're clearly passionate about learning. You're clearly passionate about technology, uh, and I'm curious to know if some of that is because you grew up in San Francisco.
1: I think a big part of it, my mom was really good about getting computers when they first, when like the Apple IIc came out or so early computers. I really started teaching myself software, desktop publishing early on, taught myself coding at my first job out of college. I've always enjoyed figuring out technical things. And then I've also always enjoyed learning and sharing and teaching. I used to make my brother play school when we were kids. Like I would <laughs> make him worksheets and make him fill them out because I wanted him to be learning what i was learning and kind of get ahead of the game for his age group and that's not much different from what i'm doing now with the blog and a book of creating worksheets for people to learn and grow and accelerate their life somehow
0: it's the new version of of school right like it's it's continuing yeah. education for us us people that were nerded out when we were in school right
1: totally and you asked what makes me tick and yes, it's reading and learning and growing, but also whenever I go through something challenging or I feel that I've been through an, a really inefficient process, I love to synthesize whatever I've learned and figured out and try and somehow make a math that makes it easier for other people who might go through the same thing. So my first book, Life After College, that came from reading hundreds of books, just trying to figure out how to be an adult in the world. And I, I, found, I felt it was inefficient. So I created this book that's I call it a portable life coach for 20-somethings. Same thing with Pivot. I went through a time, multiple times, where I felt like I was losing my mind trying to answer the question, what's next? And so it was really rewarding for me to channel those dips, those um, low moments in my life, and as I figured them out, become really determined to improve and, and help people go through that process in the future.
0: Well, and one of the things I really appreciate about how you describe that in your writing and even in your talks is that a lot of people could frame this as all glamorous and, you know, stars and and sunshine and rainbows. But one of your quotes that stuck with me was courage is a hot mess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was from I spoke at the World Domination Summit in. 2012, and I said, sometimes courage is a hot mess. It's it's not always pretty. It's not shiny, but it means that we're afraid and we're taking steps anyway. And however it looks, however you know, it's not always just this shiny, perfect image of perfection that gets translated through social media. And yet. To, so, so to not take it personally, if you feel anxious or fearful or uncertain as you're starting a business, growing a business, pivoting a business, that courage is to continue. It's not about looking good all the time while you do it.
0: Absolutely. I, I think that makes things much more not only relatable, but interesting to read. It, it's educational. If, if we're not willing to share our failure or share our struggle along the way, uh, you're, you're not getting the whole learning.
1: I agree. There's nothing interesting to me about a sanitized version of success. And even when I'm on stage, I I recently got feedback as a speaker that a lot of people loved the speech that I gave. And then one person said she didn't spend enough time establishing credibility. I wasn't sure why I should be listening to her because I tend (laughs) to focus so much on what my challenges are and my struggles and what's not working because that's what I find most interesting and what people can relate to. And so I found that feedback interesting. Now I kind of, going into an event, I kind of have to go out of my way to, to to establish for people, oh yeah, and this is why I'm up here. But it's not as interesting for me to talk about that sure. side of things.
0: Sure. I, I can tell that you love and are eager always to kind of get into the lesson, get into the story. Uh, and I'm I'm curious, you mentioned that your mom had an Apple II, was it the Apple II C?
1: If that one was before the Apple IIE, then yes. Because okay. I remember we got the one and then upgraded. <laughs> nice. Did you see before the e.
0: I remember I remember the upgrade to the E as well. My my mom was a, a teacher. Was your mom a teacher as well?
1: No, she's a Lantheap architect, but funnily enough, she almost majored in computer science at UC Berkeley in nineteen sixty nine and she she always looks back and she's like, I could have been rich by now. <laughs> <laughs> she's like right in the heart of the valley studying sure. computer science. But she pivoted. To history and
0: landscape architecture. <laughs> okay. I, w- I wasn't sure because um, we always had our Apple because Apples were in the schools that my mom worked at, which is uh-huh. the only reason we had a computer at home, was all teachers had an Apple two C- at the time it was two C. You know, we played number munchers and word munchers and Oregon yes. Trail.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I know and I used to make newsletters on the the typing software, I forget, but I just all I remember is a lot of stars. <laughs> and weird symbols, and that's how you would divide the page up. And I, making two columns was a really big deal. Anyway, so fun. So no, that, fun. I've loved like, nerding out on all this stuff.
0: Totally. Totally. Well, and I'm curious to know how that sort of prepared you for some of your early careers. I know even before you were at Google, you were working at a startup, right?
1: Yep. I took a leave of absence. I was at UCLA, and one of my professors was going to join this online political polling startup. And it happened to be in Palo Alto, which was where my mom lived at the time and where I went to middle school and high school. So kind of on a leap of faith, I took a leave of absence from school, went moved home to Palo Alto and, started work as the first employee at the startup as it later grew to 30 employees and got acquired. But it was such a great experience because as the first employee, I was the office manager, marketing assistant, and webmaster. And they kind of would just throw anything and everything at me that was entry level. And so I really <laughs> love learning from experience and hands-on. And, and also partly I thought, I think they expected that I was just going to file papers. But the more that I took on improved myself and taught myself new things, the more responsibility they gave. So it was really good training ground. And one of, one of my many tasks was managing our Google AdWords accounts. So I was I developed a relationship with our customer service rep at Google. And when I hit a plateau at the startup after about 2 years there, and I later went back to graduate with my class at UCLA and everything. So I finished school, but when it came time to move, you know, I wasn't I loved the startup. I had stock in it. I wasn't going to leave for nothing, but I thought Google Google's worth the jump. <laughs> so I I I reached out to our our rep and ended up moving over to Google to become an AdWords product trainer. So it was it was my experience as a client that helped me get that job on the training team.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And at, at what year was that that you moved over to Google?
1: 2006.
0: What a time to be at Google. What was that like?
1: It was crazy. It was amazing and crazy. I was there as the company grew from 6,000 to 36,000 people. Wow. And because I was in a training function, I met a lot of those new hires. I was training, I trained over a thousand people in my first year and a half at the company. And so I, I got to know a ton of people. I still, when I go back to Google, I'm still working with Google today, just from the outside as a consultant. And still, I'll, I'll be at a training now, and someone will say, You trained me 10 years ago on my first day at the company. So it was really rewarding and, and wild. I mean, the best business school to be at the heart of Silicon Valley the heart of one of the most innovative companies, and then watch even the infrastructure. How do you scale? To By the time I left, 36,000. Now, 60,000. But it really taught me how to be efficient, how to communicate, how to create things with global scale in mind. And I never thought I was cut out to be an entrepreneur. I really didn't. But once I left, I realized how many skills I'd acquired from working there that serve me now today.
0: And I want to make sure we talk about scale, but I'm curious uh, to know what were some of those soft skills that you learned as you trained a thousand people at Google that you use now today with the work that you do as a consultant and career and business strategist?
1: Well, on a physical level, I, I actually used to get hives when I would speak in front of a room. Even in college, I would get nervous in a um, I forget what they call the breakout classes, but where is the TA? I'm uh-huh. like twelve students? I would get nervous just to say my name, to go around the room and say my name. And I, and yet at the same time, I knew I wanted to be an author and a speaker someday. So having this training job at Google, I kind of took it on purpose to inoculate myself against the sphere of public speaking because I knew it was something I wanted to get better at. So being in front of the room every single day and troubleshooting tech problems and keeping people awake and entertained and learning was really good practice to the point where when I gave my very first public speech, it was at TEDxCMU, I was the first speaker of the day, 500 people in the room, 3,000 streaming, and the slides started going haywire. Oh, and wow. I think yeah, I watched I that kidding. one.
0: Is that, is that yeah. one on YouTube?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is i would say we could link to it in the show notes but oh god i'm so embarrassed by this one it's so long ago but the point like i could have panicked and just stopped altogether but because i had been through the trenches of already being in front of a room every day i stuck it out and it wasn't perfect it's definitely awkward but i finished it and i gave the
0: speech Oh no, you there. crushed it you crushed it <laughs> your first Thank public you. speak that was that was that's pretty <laughs> amazing and very impressive for your first public speech <laughs>
1: Well, I have to share too. One of my favorite quotes is from a book called Confessions of a Public Speaker. And this has helped me ever since. He says, anytime you're an animal standing alone on an open plane with no weapons and nowhere to hide and dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of eyeballs staring at you, evolutionarily speaking, you're about to die. So if (laughs) any of you listening tend to get nervous when you're giving a big presentation or public speaking, it's normal. It's our evolutionary response to fear from being an animal standing alone on an open plane with all these people looking at you. So once I learned that, I started to get into the physiology of calming the body, yoga, breathing, clenching and opening and closing your fists. Um, that's why some speakers pace before they get on stage. Some make the mistake of pacing while on stage. That's less desirable. <laughs> but um, all, just you just need tricks to get the adrenaline out of your body. So that alone was a great soft skill that I learned in my time at Google.
0: I've definitely made the pacing mistake and then watched myself in video later and was like, (laughs) I look like I'm a lion at the zoo, just like pacing the bars there. Try not to do that again. Uh, Talk to me more about some of these physiology tricks because uh, I've heard a few of them, you know, some of the things like focusing on breathing. Maybe you could talk me through a, a breathing exercise that you do before you do one of your talks.
1: Well, one I do, it's called controlled breathing, and the original name for it is pranayama, but you can do, so counting to three on the inhale, or five on the inhale, and then five on the exhale really slows your breath down, so it's just like inhale, you know, one, two, three, four, five, hold, exhale, five, four, three, two, one, hold, that's slow, And sometimes when I'm waiting for the person to introduce me, I'm doing that. And if any of you have taken a yoga class, they call it ujjayi breathing, where you constrict Mm -hmm. the goddess muscles at the back of your throat and you make the sound of the ocean with your breath and you're breathing in just through your nose. That really filters the breath and calms the system. But another breathing technique is you take an inhale and everyone listening now can do this. You take an inhale and just give a sign like that kind of a breath says, I am relaxed. I'm not being chased, there are no predators, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. So you can even do one more just to really feel the effects of it, deep inhale, and and just shake out your hands and your arms. And so that, you know, if you're being chased by a lion, as you mentioned, it's not that kind of breathing. So it's um, good to notice when our breathing gets tight, when you constrict the muscles in your face. But let's say you still have adrenaline, and I often do, and it can manifest as a shaky voice, shaky hands, even shaky leg syndrome. Yep. Is, And this one, I always get laughs. I was the speaker coach for TEDx Bushwick, and one of the things that I told the speakers is the biggest muscle in your body is your butt. So when you're on stage, if you get really nervous, you can clench your butt cheeks and no one will know. No one will see them. You're not pacing. You're not doing yoga breathing while you've got the mic in your hand. And so at the TEDx run through, then the day of the event, everyone would come up to me like, Jenny, I'm clenching my butt. <laughs> but I think it worked. So, so you may laugh now, but try it sometime when you're nervous. And the, the bottom line, the goal is you've got to give that adrenaline something to do. And then the other thing is a lot of people make that fear magnified by taking it personally. So, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it again. I'm nervous. Oh, my God, they're going to notice. I'm freaking out. And this year I spoke six times in front of a thousand people. And I've never done that before. I've never spoken to a room that big. It's pretty overwhelming to look out and see a thousand people. And that's 2000 eyeballs now. (laughs) staring (laughs) at the lone person on the stage. And so... I would notice myself getting nervous and just keep going. And I, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to botch this. I'm going to ruin it. I can't believe I'm nervous right now. You are going to get nervous. Expect it. And therefore, you won't magnify it when you're in the moment. You'll just accept it and keep moving. And then, then you're not producing extra adrenaline on top of the initial adrenaline.
0: That makes a lot of sense and uh, I want to get back to yoga because I discovered yoga in 2015. I say discovered. I knew of it, of its existence, but I actually finally tried it in 2015 and that has been a total game changer for me. But I wanted to share the breathing side of things is something that our team has started to do together now where we all do the pranayama breathing. So there's actually an app on iTunes. Have you heard of this, Jenny? I don't know what's it called. It's literally called pranayama. Oh so, no! So you can download the app, and um, it has different breathing patterns that you can do. So one, if you want to get like more excited, so say we're about to go to a, a networking event together, we might do that breathing pattern together before we go to that event. And we don't do it for a long period of time, or like we try not to be too weird about it, right? But but there's also sort of the midweek. Uh, you, you're starting to realize you're not going to get the whole to-do list done during the week. It's like, let's get together and do that similar to that same breathing pattern you described. Let's just all get back to calm baseline again, to where we can just approach and everyone be in sync again and, uh, and bring sort of those cortisol levels down so that we can approach our work from a creative mindset. Um, and that's, that's been a huge, huge help. And I would recommend to our listeners to start by using your exercise that you recommend here, and then you know if they're open to taking a leap of faith with their team, uh, they're, they're more forward-thinking team members anyway. Uh, maybe try the the breathing exercise uh, as a group.
1: That's awesome! It's so cool. There's an app for it.
0: Yeah, oh, it's awesome! It's awesome! It's my go-to now. If I start to feel overwhelmed, um, you know, I, I saw in your bio you mentioned you've always got some sort of a soundtrack going in your headphones if you're walking around New York. My go-to now is to have that Pranayama app. Just to kind of get myself into sort of a more meditative state. Because I used to always listen to podcasts or music mm-hmm. or audiobooks. Um, but at a certain point, I, I found that for me, I was just always filling my time with content as opposed mm-hmm. to allowing totally. myself to just be present and be with myself and be with my thoughts.
1: Yeah, totally. Especially if you're a creative person or an entrepreneurial person. It's so easy to fill our minds with other people's ideas. And I just bought a book called How to Be Bored, The School of Life, put it out. It's a small little booklet, really. And because I agree, I think it's so important to take the time that we have to breathe and slow down. And silence can be so beautiful. And and have be able to hear ourselves think. Or not think, if the goal is to slow our minds yeah, right. down. But either way, I noticed the same thing. I haven't listened to a podcast, even though I love doing them and being a guest on them, I really have taken a break from listening because I'm just appreciating more quiet right now.
0: I love that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I wonder, is yoga part of that uh, intent for you?
1: I've been doing yoga almost 15 years now, so yoga is just a staple of my sanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and it, it definitely serves a function. I You know, I meditate every day. I would say meditation is more directly related to creating that space and silence. But so when people will sometimes say to me, oh, yeah, I don't meditate, but I do yoga or but I go walking, but I run, but I fill in the blank. Mm. Those things are all amazing. And they're still different from meditation, which is sitting still with your eyes closed for five minutes or more. I do 25 at the moment, but I've done 45 in the past. Some days, if I only have five, I'll do five. Um, because meditation is really where I find myself able to slow down. And a lot of people may, might feel, oh, I don't know how to meditate, or I'm doing it wrong. There's no such thing. Just think of it as stillness. Just sit in stillness with your eyes closed and do that slow breathing that we talked about. And that alone can help calm what i i kind of use the metaphor of a beehive in our mind like just bees as thoughts buzzing all around and if you can drop down below the mind into let's say your heart center deeper into your body that's where things start to quiet down and you know you can i i been writing haikus lately one of them starts as melt soften release your grip so just in that stillness can you soften can you melt can you release your grip on the day on stresses, you know, another breathing exercise is called Tonglen. And it's you breathe in on the inhale, any stress or tension or fear. And on the exhale, you picture yourself releasing it or breathing out, you know, as you breathe out all the toxins, all the stress and tension, or you breathe in fear, breathe out love. And just doing this exercise, it's almost, sometimes I picture myself as a tree, photosynthesizing the day. So why breathe in the day and things that are on my mind. And by the time I'm breathing it out and I'm, I'm transforming it, I'm creating oxygen from whatever toxins have arisen.
0: I really like that imagery of uh, photosynthesis. I don't know if I've said that word since junior high, but I really like,
1: <laughs> I, know, <same. laughs>
0: I really like the imagery of it. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm going to have to try that. I, I'm one of those people that I, you know, tried to get into meditation, you know, probably back in, in 2012 or 13 or so couldn't really stick to a habit. And I think it took something more physical like yoga to get me to a point where I could let go. And now I find I can do the sit still thing. Um, but it's only after, you know, having done yoga for the, the year plus, uh, that I have that now I can actually be alone with my thoughts. Um, and then allow those thoughts even to drift away, um, and, and get to that sort of meditative state.
1: Totally. And I love that you're willing to get into yoga too, because I think at first with something like yoga, it's easy to feel inflexible or a little bored or restless, but ultimately it is such good lengthening and strengthening for your body. It's such good mind, body, spirit integration. It just serves a really nice function that can complement any other aspect of a person's workout or kind of active activities.
0: It was actually a, another podcaster, Chris Ducker, who finally convinced oh, nice. me to do it. I was visiting him in the Philippines, actually, a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's living the life out there for sure. What he, his reframe for me that got me to try it was the reason I could play basketball as late in life as I did and do is because I discovered yoga. And I was already beginning to feel some of the aches and pains of I, I play basketball at time, right? Like I'm I'm an Indiana Hoosier, right? So <laughs> so it's in my DNA, and I'm six four, so that doesn't hurt too. Um, but what does hurt is playing basketball in the post, you know, a couple days out of the week, and not doing any sort of stretching or physical therapy or mobility work. And uh, adding that in uh, made that difference there. But I would I would say, looking back now, the mental effects of it are are even even more than the physical effects
1: that's so awesome i know and the thing about whenever when i first started pilates i hated it i, I did a pilates class and i hated it <laughs> it was so hard i couldn't make it through a, a five minute set at a time i couldn't finish each of any of the five minute sets But the fact that I hated it so much made me keep going because I was like, I had no idea these muscles existed. So clearly, if it's this hard for me, and I can't barely even make it through five minutes at a time, I must need this thing. And I think with yoga, it could be very similar. I mean, I love you describing how you play basketball. And I I noticed such a difference when I haven't done yoga for two weeks, my whole body feels creaky. And just like, Mm -hmm. ah, it's like the whole body, my whole body needs some WD-40 and (laughs) yes, you could stretch at the gym for 10 minutes, but a yoga class will really wring you out like a sponge. And then therefore the mental relaxation comes with it. You know, a lot of teachers have said Shavasana, the corpse pose, the very last pose of yoga, that the entire practice is for that one pose. So that by the time you release everything and corpse pose, die to the moment, die to the day, you're, you're so relaxed. And only then would they sit for meditation after the body had been wrung out? Because no wonder, of course we can't sit still if we're just caught up in our mind and we're so restless and haven't yet gotten out that physical energy that we have.
0: <laughs> that's, that's my move right there. I, I'm not good at all the yoga poses, but I'm really good at corpse pose.
1: <laughs> I bet, yeah, it's the best one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if sort of this sort of like letting go mentality, uh, if you feel like that really sort of Powers the way you approach your career and everything that you've done as a speaker and an author and as a strategist, or if you see it as almost you do these these sort of like letting go mental exercises so that when you are in the mode of career mode, Jenny Blake the author, Jenny Blake, the public speaker that you can just be super focused and super engaged. Do you see it as as almost a a balance of the two or is it more integrated than maybe it, it appears at the surface?
1: Yeah, I mean all of the above. It's very everything supports everything else and I find with meditation I'm more strategic and clear and focused. So while part of it is about letting go and Unwinding or relaxing, a huge part of it is also being very strategic about how I spend my time and being able to completely hear my intuition so much that I really take targeted, focused action. And I don't waste time and energy running around like a crazy person. That if I can just get centered, answers will come to me about challenges or strategy, even launches. And even writing the book, I really kind of co created that through meditating and, and imagining my book and imagining it connecting with people and what did it need and what's going to really reach people every day while I worked on it. Um, and then, then a huge a part of, you know, people sometimes ask, uh, how, how do you define success or how do you become successful like you are? Success to me is enjoying every day. That if I'm running my own business and I'm miserable and I'm running myself to the ground and I'm burnt out and all of these things, what's the point? So it's very important to me to, on a day-to-day basis, take care of my mind, my body, my spirit, my business. They're all equally important. And I don't, I hate the phrases like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, like kind of (laughs) common among, maybe it's this, I I think it's a misconception among the only way to be an entrepreneurial ninja is you sleep when you're dead. That's just not going to work for me. My body is too sensitive. I, I will get sick. Right away, if, I, if I'm if i getting too little sleep or not taking care of myself. So a lot of these practices are to really treat my body like a well-oiled machine so it can support everything I want to do in my business. And I learned that when I first left Google and started running my own business. I really realized, you know, I'm my own, my, my main employee. And especially, I'm a solo, solopreneur. I work for myself. I have a few, you know, VA and an assistant who are not working in with me directly or full time, they're in. They live in other locations. Sure. But but essentially, if I'm sleep deprived or hungover or haven't exercised or I'm frustrated or impatient, my business is operating at fifty percent. So I really treat my body is my business. I am my my you know my body is just as important to earning a living as whatever activities I'm doing on my to do list.
0: Well, I, I find it interesting that you grew up in San Francisco, uh, which has you know become Silicon Val- the Silicon Valley that it is, uh, and is all about you know thinking big and and growth and making an, a massive impact on the world with technology. But you currently reside in New York City, the city that never sleeps,
1: <laughs>
0: and, and yet you are sort of of the mindset that. Um, you know, it's not, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's, I want to enjoy this journey as I go. Do you find yourself at odds at times with sort of the culture and vibe of New York?
1: The reason I love it is because I may be quiet and have my own little sanctuary in my studio apartment during the day, but I love being able to leave the house and feel so invigorated. Mm. Every day is an adventure. The serendipity of being here the the, the the type of people that New York City attracts, I love it. I thrive on it. So I just find a way to create my own container for living here where I really don't feel burnt out because of the city. People have asked, isn't it overwhelming? But I kind of, I want this level of energy and chaos <laughs> and serendipity. That's what really brings me alive. So I just make sure to have the personal practices that support it.
0: That's cool. That's cool. It's like you you know that you want it, but only when you want it. So you've, it's it's cool. You've kind of designed the sanctuary, you know, in, in New York, but then you can walk out the door and, and you're in the energy and getting that hit of probably adrenaline.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's so different when people come through and they're just visiting. So kind of tourist mode. And even if it's not tourist mode, I used to come here for a week at a time when I was working at Google, my manager was based in New York But if you're only coming in for a week, those trips are so packed. You're meeting with people. You're going from meeting to meeting and then out to dinner. And then if you're going out for the night or having cocktails, having alcohol, and then it starts all over the next day. And then you want to get in some, see some sights and touristy things. And oh my gosh, of course, by the end of a week like that, you're absolutely dead. And you might've had (laughs) the best week of your life, but you're dead. And that's when I think a lot of people say, oh, I could never live here but if you do live here everyday isn't like that you can really find yoga classes meditate in the park go for a walk you know yes sometimes things are crowded and a little crazy but it's it's not like you're on that 100% on mode the way that a person would be if they're just coming through for a visit
0: sure i imagine having that uh that sanctuary space and that personal practice of giving you your time to reflect and be with your thoughts, and then be maybe even without your thoughts in a meditative state, it, it's almost like the first couple steps of sort of the plan, scan, pilot methodology of the pivot method. Is, is that intentional? I, I mean, I I love I love that you actually do the things you recommend in your book. First of <laughs> all, um, but second of all, it, is that sort of what you mean in that sort of like planning and scanning phase? Well,
1: very interesting. No one has ever connected those two things. (laughs) The pivot method and just a way of living. Love the question. Let me think about this. So in the pivot method, which is essentially a method to map what's next. So if you find yourself at a pivot point and you're saying, what's next? I developed this four stage cycle that you can go through. And even for pivoting a business or pivoting the strategy on a single project, So plant is about what's already working, doubling down on that. What are your strengths? What are you most enjoying and what does success look like? Where do you want to end up a year from now? So yeah, in the context of living and day-to-day life, hundred percent, like what personal practices are working and then how do you want to feel? And if it's different from what you are experiencing now, you know, then the second stage scan is for people, skills, and projects that are compelling. So People, who might you want to connect with? That can also go for your local community or online community skills. How do you want to learn and grow in the coming year? Projects, what small experiments might you want to tackle? And that's really the third stage pilot is about small experiments. So for example, when considering moving to New York, first I would travel here for work. Then my friend Julie and I rented out an apartment for one month. And that was our pilot to see could we really hack it here? Is it different when you're maybe we were just, you know, in love with it because we were only here for five glamorous days at a time. What's a month going to be like? We loved the month so much that she and I moved together later, later that year. And I've been here ever since. We, we call New York our yellow brick road to happiness. <laughs> so So the pilot worked. So piloting is all about small experiments to help you test three E's. Do I enjoy this new thing? Can I become an expert at it? And is there room to expand? Well, in the context of a living experiment, we enjoyed it? Yes. Could we become an expert? Could we like get, get into the New York swing and make it here? Not 100% sure, but we damn well knew we wanted to try. Yeah. And then is there room to expand? Could we see ourselves here longer than a month? And the answer was yes. So whether it's where to travel, where to live, or what you want for your project or your career or your business – You can repeat, plant, scan, pilot over and over until you get enough momentum that the fourth stage launch is more clear and you've reduced risk enough so that when you pull the trigger on the new direction, it's a smoother transition.
0: I love that. And I must have missed the fourth stage of the book because I didn't have it in my notes. I always take notes when I read books. Uh, And it's been a while since I've read yours. So I I must not have gotten the the fourth stage launch. Well,
1: The the first three are like 90% of it. Okay. So I would say if we were gonna 80 20, the first three stages are the bulk, and I almost I always want to call it a three stage method because uh-huh. that's where you really get the momentum going. And then just every now and then the launch is pulling the trigger, like quitting your job, folding the business, you know, shifting the business. So that's kind of where launch comes in. So you're not it's 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 just as accurate to really think of it as a three stage model.
0: Well, I, I think it's interesting that. Uh, your book, P- The Pivot, or you know, the pivot method in your book, Pivot, is very much focused on the process of planning the pivot and whether or not it's the pivot to make. Because mm-hmm. in the startup and tech world, it's sort of like, oh, it's not working, just pivot. And it's sort of mm-hmm. this like, we're going to do it really quick and we're going to move fast and we're going to move fast and break things because we like quoting Mark Zuckerberg and we're we're going <laughs> to
1: totally.
0: we're going to do things and we're going to make it the right choice and if it's not the right choice we're just going to pivot again but what i hear you saying is 90% of the pivot should be in the planning of it and planting scanning pilot and if the pilot works and you feel you know 80% good about it then maybe go and launch is that am i hearing that correctly
1: yeah and and that You know, the the plant and scan stages are about planning and piloting is about get out there. At Google, we had a motto, a mantra basically, launch and iterate or be scrappy. Do not wait until you have the perfect thing to launch or to try and monetize your business. Or, you know, if we wait until things are perfect, we're never going to do anything at all. And that's where we feel a sense of paralysis. And so piloting is about taking action, but small action, small steps, small experiments that, that get Things rolling and so that's that's what it's about it's the planning and then the experimenting because none of us have the answers up front especially not in an economy like we're in so they just take the pressure off to have to know and that's what I felt I beat myself up for so long because I didn't know how to answer that what's next question and really when I started doubling down on what was working and and rolling that into new and different but related experiments that's when things started to take off again.
0: I imagine you have a lot of readers and and people um, in the community because I, I know certainly in the entrepreneurial community we have this um, of people that get stuck in the planning stage, and feel that resistance between them and actually launching a pilot or you know or piloting or launching, um, and Ooh. so they almost get into this perpetual self-perpetuating cycle of entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. which means that they're always in planning stage and they've always got some amazing plan because that's all they're spending their time doing can you talk to me about what you would consider like minimum viable planning or what what needs to go into planning before you have a viable pilot
1: the most important part of planning is not the business plan, even like the most (laughs) intricate way things are going to unfold. The part that most people skip when it comes to planning is looking at what's already working and what their strengths are and what has worked in the past, what has gotten clients in the past or customers. Uh, What are people saying? Putting your ear to the ground, listening. What do your customers want? What are they actually signing up for? What are they struggling with? How can you be most helpful? That's the planning that's really important and that people often skip because they're so focused on these kind of sexy ideas that you would read about or, <laughs> or how, to, how to grow something or how to follow some new business template that someone's written about online. But the real key is once you know your strengths and what's really working, you can shift very naturally and very methodically right from where you already are. Instead of stretching too far outside of yourself, especially with too much planning, that's not anchored in anything that you're doing
0: currently. Mm, I, I imagine that's when things can start to feel a little bit out of control. When nof- nothing is anchored to what you currently do or currently do well.
1: Exactly. Yep, that's when they out of control or you're, they're just not working. There's no traction happening. And mm. someone might feel stuck and like, why isn't it? You know, why aren't I getting any momentum here? Well, it's most likely because it's not well enough connected to existing strengths and relationships and experiences.
0: I like that a lot. That that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think if people just had this framework of the plant scan pilot and launch, people would be piloting a lot more frequently and the launches would be a lot more meaningful and therefore have a much bigger impact.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Have you had some success stories come out of uh, the talks that you've given and the, the work that you've done with the book and with your coaching that are some of your favorite transformations?
1: One of the biggest things is, and for myself included, people who just say, uh, I thought I was crazy, or, oh, I've been pivoting my whole life and I always thought there was something wrong with me. But now through this lens, They're the pivot pro. They're the one that's the most agile because they have been shifting dynamically at every turn. And for me too, I remember feeling like when I was hitting my head against the wall every two years wondering what's next, there was something wrong with me and I must be destined to be unhappy for the rest of my career. But actually what I've discovered, especially since the book came out and talking to people is pivots are much more often a product of our success. You know, in the startup world, pivoting is kind of plan B. The, the initial strategy for the company is failing, and now you have to pivot to stay in business. But when it comes to our careers, and if you're a solopreneur entrepreneur, pivoting is often a product of success, that you've outgrown some previous direction or previous idea or career incarnation, and you're ready for something new. So while it is intimidating, it doesn't have to be take, taken personally, that you've done anything wrong. And that alone frees us up to be much more creative and eliminate some of the fear of the unknown. And I think the other thing is just is recognizing that some amount of uncertainty is a good thing because that's how we know we're engaged and we're learning and growing. And in the book, I call the people I wrote the book for high net growth individuals, that money is important, but it's not everything. And ultimately we're asking how am I learning and growing? And once those needs are being met or simultaneously, and how am I making an impact? So growth and impact are two sides of a coin that I call them impactors for short that's what we really care about. So of course we're going to have some more uncertainty because we would be bored otherwise. If we knew exactly what we were doing and what's next and how to get there and how to monetize the shit out of our business pardon my French you know and like like crush it overnight we would be bored. So lucky us that we get to play this game of business and entrepreneurship and and tr- problem solve and troubleshoot and go through dips and go through failures and successes and keep learning. I mean, that's what Joseph Campbell calls the rapture of being alive.
0: Oh, I love that you just quoted Joseph Campbell. That's awesome. And I love the high net growth individuals phrase as well. Um, I'm curious to know if there's one person in particular that helped you become a high-net-growth individual. Because, Jenny, I would, I would absolutely say that you're a, you're a high-net-growth individual that has achieved some amazing things, and I would venture to guess um, we have, we've seen nothing yet compared to what, what's, what's to come.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Well, same to you. I, really, I have to say, I've had been fortunate to have many amazing mentors and friend and friends in my life, Uh, not to my my family too, loves learning. And so that's always, I'm fortunate to have that always be part of the conversation. I would say authors, just books, the the availability of books where an author has poured years of their life and you get this thing, you get to just unpack all their wisdom for $15 or however much you're going to pay for their book. That's magic to me. It's absolute magic. So I'm, it's complete bookworm. My book, my apartment is overflowing with books here in New York, <laughs> and I love it. I love always being able to – and I, I like following author rabbit holes. Like So once I find an author I really like, for example, lately it's been Byron Katie and a guy named Gary Zuckoff, who Oprah read his book *Seed of the Soul in 87, and it completely changed the game for her. Hmm. Well, once I read one book and I resonate so deeply with it, I'll read everything the author has ever written. And so there are some authors like that where I just go to town on their whole <laughs> body of work. And in that way, they become a mentor from afar. And it's fine if I never get to meet that person in person or talk to them live. I've, I've already, they've already changed my life in, in countless ways. And then now with the podcast, it is actually a small possibility that I could talk to them. So that's, that's a mind blow beyond belief. But the books alone are what, are what feed me their soul food, brain food as a high net growth individual.
0: I think that's pretty good uh, philosophy and perspective to have. And I would highly recommend uh, as a reader, although I clearly didn't take good enough notes on it, uh, th- please go read and pick up a copy of Jenny's book, Pivot. Uh, Jenny, if people want to find more about you uh, or your book, uh, where should they go?
1: The best place is pivotmethod.com. And if you go to pivotmethod.com slash toolkit, there's a bunch of free resources and templates and even a pivotability index to see what kind of pivoter you are. And then I also have a private community called Momentum for side hustlers and solopreneurs where I do twice weekly Q&A calls. And there's just, it's just an awesome group. And I have a team of six pivot coaches now. So if any of you listening really would love one-on-one support, you can sign up for a two-session jumpstart. And that's at pivotmethod.com coaching.
0: Oh, so cool. So cool. I I didn't check that out yet. So I will be going to that immediately following this interview. Thank you so much, Jenny, for taking the time to share your story and share a little bit about pivoting um, and and learning along the way.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. I loved all your questions. You get an A plus because you didn't just read the book. You also checked out all the latest, greatest stuff. So I really, really appreciate it. You're great at what you do. And big thanks to everybody who's here listening too.
0: Thanks so much, Jenny. Hey, it's your host, Matt Hunkler, here again. That's it for our Hangout with Jenny Blake on Powder Keg. But, as I mentioned before in the last episode, the party does not have to stop there. Please make sure you give Jenny a follow on Twitter, at Jenny underscore Blake on Twitter. And check out her personal website, JennyBlake.me. Uh, you can also check out her book website, where she publishes a ton of helpful content and resources, at Pivot Method. Com. You can check out those websites and find all of those resources that Jenny mentioned in this episode. And of course, we've linked all of that up for you in the full show notes and transcript at our website, powderkeg.co. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Powder Keg is presented by Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent growing companies beyond Silicon Valley. We have a ton of free resources for starting and growing your business at VergeHQ.com. We also host several events every month around the country. So check us out and see where we're at. I would love to link up with you in person, learn a little bit more about what you're working on and how we can help help so again that's vergehq.com and of course you can always find me on twitter and instagram at hunkler that's at h-u-n-c-k-l-e-r i appreciate all of your feedback all the conversation and dialogue there thank you so much for continuing to give great feedback great ideas for future shows and of course let me know how i can help i want to help you i want to help your business And I want to help make this podcast better and better so that, again, we're helping more and more people the more interviews we do, the more episodes we have. So thanks to everyone who has done that. And, of course, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has left us a review this past week and subscribed on iTunes. You can leave us your honest review by using this link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. Please give us a subscribe while you're at it and we'll be forever indebted to you because it's your reviews, it's your subscriptions and your feedback that help us get better and reach more people to build bigger and better businesses that really matter. Thank you so much for tuning in.